Hey everybody, it's Chris. If you're a sports fan like me, or you're just a fan of a great story, you gotta check out Press Box Access, a sports history podcast hosted by Todd Jones. Todd sits down with fellow sports writers who experienced firsthand some of the biggest sports moments of the past 50 years, and they share some of the stories behind the stories, some of which they've only told to each other. What I personally love are the wild stories that you might not hear so much about on SportsCenter over the years. Like when Indiana-based sports journalist Bob Kravitz recounts the time Bobby Knight showed up naked to an office meeting with him and then banned him from the Hoosiers' locker room for the next three years because Bob wrote a story he didn't like. Or when Alexander Wolfe tells a story about going out on the town in Chicago with Dennis Rodman and Carmen Electra in the middle of a Bulls playoff series. Or when Dan Wetzel talks about what it was like to be in the media room when Temple basketball coach John Chaney stormed into UMass coach John Calipari's press conference after a game and threatened to kill him. These wild and fun stories, paired with stories about real sports greatness, you know, like the 1970s Steelers being the greatest NFL dynasty ever, or the legendary rivalry between Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, and even the impact of protests for social justice issues in sports, make Pressbox Access a show you should check out. Pressbox Access is part of the Evergreen Podcast family, and it's available all the places you get your pods, and you can also find Pressbox Access on YouTube. Go check it out. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. He went away, and you hung around, and bothered me every night. And when I wouldn't go out with you, you said things that weren't very nice. My boyfriend's back, and you're gonna be in trouble. Hey, la, hey, la, my boyfriend's back. Hey, now, hey, now, One Hit Thunder's back. This week, we're stepping back in time to explore the fascinating story behind one of the early 60s most beloved hits. A group of talented teenagers from New Jersey, the Angels, joined forces with three brilliant songwriters to craft My Boyfriend's Back, a timeless classic that was inspired by a real-life incident. This iconic song not only left an undeniable mark on the era, but continues to resonate with audiences today. We don't often dive into the tunes of the late 50s and early 60s, but thanks to Patreon's request, we couldn't resist this opportunity to uncover the story behind the Angels' legendary single. Stay tuned for a journey into music history that promises to be absolutely trouble-free. boyfriend right uh newly yes okay i'm also a boyfriend and how do you feel about that term boyfriend i feel like it's weird to say boyfriend or girlfriend anytime you're no longer in your teens yeah it's, right it's like right? a weird but there's thing. no better 
There's no better word. No, you can say, it's saying like my significant other sounds so pretentious. And <laughs> like, saying like partner sounds like clinical or something or saying, yeah it's very weird because it, you and i are partners we're business partners <laughs> like that's different well it's also like, funny that girls call each other like oh I, I went out with my girlfriends this weekend but we don't yeah. say i went out with my boyfriends this weekend maybe I mean, we should reclaim it chris maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I read a really good article from bustle written by a woman named jr thorpe and she said the term boyfriend evolved from a platonic term for a male friend, but then it transitioned to signify a romantic partner in the early 1900s, but it didn't fully get the connotation of romantic partner until like the 1920s or 30s. But her point was, just like you said, the term boyfriend or girlfriend, it's, it's pretty immature because we aren't boys or girls, we're men and women. And the problem is that there aren't any better terms yeah um yeah i guess i wouldn't want to be called a man friend either <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a man friend uh well we'll get to that in she was saying that a boyfriend doesn't imply like a serious commitment you know it's like yeah. husband and wife is serious or fiance but boyfriend even if you are serious even if you don't have intentions to someday be married maybe you're you're fine being in a relationship you trust each other you but you, you don't need the pomp and circumstance of, of yeah. the rest. It's just, she was said, said that it represents our societal failure to recognize unmarried relationships, that keeping boyfriend and girlfriend as the norm infantilizes the people who have made this massively popular choice to not be married. And she makes the point that being married isn't the guarantor of a grown-up relationship. It doesn't mean there's plenty of people that are married that like are completely immature and have terrible relationships, you know? Yeah. And she said that partner would be a great replacement, but it just sounds so formal and stupid. So her alternative, what she suggests is saying either my man or my person mm -hmm. or my human. And she said that that has a sweet romantic history. And she cited the fact that Billie Holiday always uses the term my man in her music. Yeah. And that it I can see that. Yeah. That it implies monogamy and gets the message across. But that brings us to what we're here to talk about today. My boyfriend's back from the angels. My boyfriend's back. So the other thing I have to say is that I can't hear the word boyfriend anymore and not hear Kristen Ritter yelling it in Gilmore Girls for like an entire season. Because remember, she never called, she never called Marty Marty. She uh, always called yeah. him boyfriend. And that's why Rory didn't know that she was dating M Marty throughout the entire time that they lived together. <laughs> But Mar Marty, I, I watched like the Marty episodes recently. I feel like he got a bad deal. Marty, look, Marty may have been actually one of Rory's best romantic options of the, like excluding those dudes. I'm like, Marty, except for like where he got a little creepy and weird towards the very end, yeah. just seemed like a solid guy, had a yeah. nice meat cute. Like, yeah, remember, remember when she was like going out with Logan and then, uh, and then she, but she had plans to hang out with Marty and, and watch the Marx Brothers. Yeah, they were going to watch Duck Soup together. We're watch Duck Soup. And he's like, I don't want to watch Duck Soup with you. I obviously <laughs> like you, but I'm not this rich guy. What do you, I mean, I kind of felt bad for Marty. I've been Team Marty for a very long time. <laughs> team Marty. <All> right. <laughs> I think Marty uh, could do better. All right. So, I think that there's two different stories here with the boyfriends back because you've got the story of the angels, mm -hmm. but you also have the story of the guys who wrote the song. Oh, yeah. 
Um, and I happen to tell you that I picked up, I found a book. I was cleaning my house. I don't remember where I got this book. It literally may have been something given to me from my grandfather, from my grandmother after my grandfather died, because it seems like the kind of book he would have had. But it was just called Behind the Hits. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, them interviewing people who had written hit songs. And it's literally every page is a different song. And it's a quick story about the writing of that song. And since it was clearly focusing on the 50s, 60s, and early 70s, I was like, let me see if my my boyfriend's back is in here. And it was. Uh, And in it, Bob Fieldman tells the story of how him and Jerry and Richard wrote this song. And he says that he was at his favorite hangout in high school because it was about to be torn down and he wanted to see it one last time. And when he was there... He he said he heard a a girl yelling at a guy who had a D.A. haircut and a leather jacket. Do you know what a D.A. haircut is? D.A. haircut. Uh, You'll never in a million years guess this. It's so stupid. uh, uh, It's funny. We were just talking about Gilmore Girls. I was thinking of D.A.R. Was it the the Daughters of the American Revolution haircut? A D.A. haircut. I, I don't know what that is. It said a duck's ass haircut. So like oh. when the hair is spiked up in the back okay. a little bit, like, gotcha. like a duck's butt. Uh, he had a DA haircut and a leather jacket. And in the middle of the argument, she yelled at him, my boyfriend's back and you're going to be in trouble because you've been spreading all these lies about me over school. And when he gets a hold of you, you're going to regret that you were ever born. So he said he went back to the house that him, Jerry and Richard were living in. And he told him about the story. And they immediately sat down at the piano and started writing a song about this girl. Um, and they specifically wanted the Angels to sing the song, uh, but the publishing company wanted nothing to do with them because the Angels weren't an established group. They wanted the Shirelles to sing it instead. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob, Jerry, and Richard stood their ground and decided to produce the song themselves. Not only did this obviously pay off because this became a huge hit, but it established the trio of them as producers, and they later went on to work with groups like the McCoys, War, Blondie and the Go-Go's uh, wow. well into the 80s as a songwriting slash production team. And you um, forgot about the fact that they are, in fact, the Strange Loves, who originally yes. had the song, I Want Candy. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> like this, these three guys, uh, Bob Fieldman, Jerry Goldstein, and Richard Goddard, I think is how you pronounce that last name. Uh, awesome. Like This is an awesome story, and I love... I love a story of some guys gambling on themselves mm-hmm. and it paying off because now if they're producing it themselves, they're getting so much more in the world of royalties as well, I'd imagine, for the fact that this song is was massive and continues to be massive. Yep, yep. Huge song. The song Subject Matter, <laughs> I looked this up on like Genius or something. It's The song is a word of warning to a would-be suitor who, after being rebuffed by the female narrator of the song, spread nasty rumors accusing her of romantic indiscretions. Now, the narrator declares, her boyfriend is back in town and ready to settle the score, and she warns the rejected admirer to watch himself. Yeah. He's got to check himself or he may, in fact, wreck himself. That is true. (laughs) Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I'm not going to lie here. I've become a factor fanatic lately. 
I'm a busy guy and getting to eat restaurant quality meals that are ready to heat and eat in two minutes has been amazing. Eating better is easy with Factors delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You have 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And also, there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. I've been spreading the word to everyone I know, not just here on the podcast, but in person as well. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. You get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. And the math doesn't lie. Factor is less expensive than takeout. Plus, considering every meal is dietitian approved, it's also nutritious and delicious. So what are you waiting for? Get started today by heading to factormeals.com slash one hit 50 and use the code one hit 50 to get 50% off. That's code one hit 50. The words one hit and the number 50 that is at factormeals.com slash one hit 50 to get 50% off. We're here to entertain you. Hey there, are you obsessed with things that happened before your time? Well, if you are, join me, the host of Before My Time, Gelsey Laurie, to discuss the wonders of the yesteryears that we weren't around to enjoy ourselves. You can find us on all podcast platforms. Soon you'll be swaying, so come on, sing along. As far as the Angels are, they actually started as the Starlets right. in New Jersey, um, and they were a bit of a local hit. They worked as studio singers for the most part. Uh, they eventually did change their name to the Angels, and they got sar- signed to Mercury Records in 1963, and that's the same year that they released My Boyfriend's Back. And this was a number one hit that sold one million copies, which is a lot of fucking copies in 1963. Spent three <laughs> weeks at number one. That's pretty good. But we got to talk about the Angels for a minute because they had a lot of like members come in and out. So like you said, they started as the Starlets and they had the sisters, Barbara Bibbs. <laughs> her nickname was Bibbs. And Phyllis, her nickname was Jigs. Albert, <laughs> Bernadette Carroll, and Linda Malzoni. Uh, that was the. I got a the, question for you, Chris. Who between the two of us? Who's the bibs and who's the jigs in our uh, podcasting group? <laughs> you're the bibs. I'm the jigs. Okay, works what for me. Uh, also, I got to say that that is the most. What year? What year was this from? This was a hit in 63. 63. That is the most 63 nicknames you could imagine. Yeah, right Bibs there. and Jigs. But also, <laughs> also the, the four members of the band, Barbara, Phyllis, Bernadette, and Linda. <laughs> like, they're the most 60s names ever. Anyway, so Linda Jansen, they got a different Linda. Linda Jansen replaced Linda Malzoni as the lead singer. That's when the group changed their name to the Angels. Jansen then went solo and she was replaced by Peggy Santiglia. Peggy. Now they got a Peggy in the band. Uh, the angels, like when they had this hit, they were a trio Peggy. And then the two sisters, Bibbs and Jigs, Peggy, Bibbs and Jigs were the lineup when they had this big hit. And then what's so crazy to me is this song became a hit for them. 
And then rival girl groups, the Chiffons and Martha and the Vandellas, they both recorded covers of the song shortly after the Angels released it. So yeah. was that a thing? Like someone has a hit and then all the other bands just play that same song? So, it's so weird. Yes and no. This is kind of a weirder case because a lot of it would honestly be inherent racism. Um, mm. So like a black artist would have a popular hit, but because they wouldn't play it in suburban neighborhoods, a very white group would then cover the song almost note for note. And then that would be the song that actually got played mm. on the radio in a lot of cases. But the angels were definitely for white women. Oh, so they someone were, doing as a cover. White as it gets. <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> These are the whitest so, women you'll ever see. <laughs> so like the idea that like another group then immediately covered them that quickly is a little bit more off the beaten path than than the rest of like well, the late fifties, early sixties stuff. Is it maybe safe to assume that Martha and the Vandellas did it to uh be played to, to perform the song? Oh, guess the, the reverse audiences? version. Yeah, because Martha Martha and the that was like they did Heat Wave. They had a couple yeah. big hits. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that makes sense. Yeah, that could be it, that they were just trying to to get it for the opposite, the, literally the reverse situation. Right. I, I didn't get more information on this, but at one point, the Angels changed their name to the Halos because there was yeah. <laughs> a, a dispute over who owned the name the Angels. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that was, yeah. At that point, when they became the Halos, Peggy left the band and was replaced by Tony Mason. And then they, they released a bunch more singles, none of which charted. They had a bunch of lineup changes over the years. But before I mean, this, before we get into this, I want to talk about, did you watch their performance on the Ed Sullivan show? I did not. From October 6th of 1963, they performed My Boyfriend's Back on the Ed Sullivan Show. You can go on YouTube and watch that. Pretty good. Uh, they had a follow-up song called I Adore Him that peaked at number 25. And then their next song after that, Thank You and Good Night, charted at number 84. Uh, that's pretty appropriate because that yeah. was their last song to ever crack in. Thank you and good night, everybody. Thanks for yeah. letting us sell you a million copies of My Boyfriend's Back. Let me ask you this question, Chris. Did you happen to see who was the trumpet player on the song My Boyfriend's Back? No. Ronnie James Dio. What? <laughs> a young Ronnie James Dio was a studio musician, and I guess he played trumpet, and he was the trumpeter on the recording of My Boyfriend's Back that you hear by the Angels. Wow. Okay. That's pretty wild. I just think that's crazy. I think it's yeah. a great story. <laughs> and I I wrote that down. The song, uh, like we said, it was number one in August the 31st. Uh, it unseated Fingertips by Little Stevie Wonder oh, yeah. as the number one song. Uh, and it was number one, like you said, for three weeks before it got beat out by a song that I fucking love, which was Bobby Vinton's Blue Velvet, Yeah, which would have been the biggest single of the year, if not for a song I've never heard of called Sugar Shack by Jimmy Gilmore and the Fireballs, which was the biggest song of 1963, according to Billboard. Wow. I don't <laughs> yeah. know if I know that one. You know, I, I had the week of September 7th, 1963, when my boyfriend's back went to number one. I had it pulled up to see what else was in the charts. And I made note of some like notable things. I know when we go back this far, you don't usually do this because we're like, don't know most of the songs. Uh, and some of them are like, you get into this weird era where it's like, there wasn't that many bands. Like that's where like 
finding we usually have to bend the rules a little bit when you get into like the 50s and 60s of what is a one hit wonder because when there's only like 10 bands releasing two songs at a time or whatever everyone's gonna have a top 20 (laughs) single at some point that like cracks in there but it's those ones that get to the top five that are like the iconic songs of that time period right (laughs) uh but around this time september 7th 1963 i have lots of stuff to tell you about First of all, I want to tell you, before I get into these charts, what was going on in the world at this time? So on on September 2nd of 1963, Alabama Governor George Wallace prevents integration of the Tuskegee High School in Alabama. So you have the actual governor saying, like, trying to keep segregation. Um, On September 7th of 1963, the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, is officially opened. On September 9th of 1963... That same governor, George Wallace, is served a federal injunction to stop orders of state police to bar black students from enrolling in white schools. And then the very next day on September 10th, 20 black students enter public schools in Alabama. You know, this is a very famous historical time. You know, you you always see those videos and stuff and people protesting and everything. So that's what was going on at this time. So when you talk about the same song being recorded for a black audience and a white audience like that makes sense. Cause you had this sort of stuff still happening, like not even that long ago, this kind of stuff, there was still segregation. You know, that's what I mean. Some of the angels are still alive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's like, that's right. how recent a lot of that stuff still was. Five days later on September 15th of 1963, there was a church bombing in Birmingham, Alabama, which killed four African-American girls. So yeah, things were not good. Things were, no. were not good in, in this era. Um, September 26th of 1963, Lee Harvey Oswald travels on Continental Trailways bus to Mexico City. The next day, he visits the Cuban consulate in Mexico City seeking a visa. And that was only a couple months later of that year that he assassinated JFK. And then on September 29th of 1963, the Rolling Stones leave for their first tour as an opening act for Bo Diddley and the Everly Brothers. Oh, wow. Yeah. Pretty good ticket right I, there. I feel like <laughs> I feel like you're reading all that, and it really puts into perspective how much of a to quote one of my other podcast names, a white people problem. Uh, the boyfriend spreading rumors was in oh, 1963. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. This is like a bottom of totem pole of what's happening in the world for people to be pissed off about. Yeah. Um, that being said, we do have to talk about this song a little bit because you know there's some great covers of this. I know me first and the Gimme Gimmies have covered this. Uh, weirdly in my head, I thought, I can't believe that Less Than Jake never covered this. I bet Less Than Jake could have done a fucking wild version of this song. Um, but such a, every part of this song is so fucking catchy. Mm-hmm. Like, and I think it's cause every one of them has that like, Hey, uh, Hey, uh, my boyfriend's back. But like the, you know, my boyfriend's back and it's gonna be like the claps in the background and the Pretty chorus. Good. Pretty undeniable. God, it's Pretty. so good. And then, you know, he's going to save my reputation. Like everything is so catchy and so well done. Um, yep. Even by this standard, like by, by 1963, you have a lot of songs that sound like this, but I don't think you have as many songs where every single piece of it 
is as catchy as this is. It's good <laughs> like, as hell, man. The singing's great. <laughs> Makes you feel like you're pulling up to the... Where would you go at this time? I picture... Oh, this would like, absolutely... I'm thinking this is... So, so American Graffiti says, yeah. where were you in 62? Okay. So this is like absolute... You're pulling up to the, to the like soda pop sure. drive-in area. And like, Someone's bringing you your stuff on roller skates. Yeah, 100%. You're getting like a greasy-ass burger and a milkshake inside of your hot rod car. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> you might go drag racing around the block right. to earn the love of your girl or something. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I did want to talk about what, what, what was else... What else was on the charts at this time, this week okay. of September 7th, 1963? Um, I just made note of the notable songs that we all know. Like number 55 at this time was Be My Baby by the Ronettes. Great song. Uh, at number 38, Little Deuce Coop from the Beach Boys. Ooh. Um, and number 26, Wait Till My Bobby Gets Home from Darlene Love. Who I we vaguely know that name. Yeah. Darlene Love. Yeah. You, you vaguely no, know? I know Darlene okay. Love. I mean, I ba- I vaguely know the Wait Till My Bobby Gets Home song. Yeah. And number 21, Mickey's Monkey by The Miracles. Uh, and number 15, Then He Kissed Me by The Crystals. Yeah. You know that one. And number oh, 12, yeah. Surfer Girl from The Beach Boys. And number Beautiful 11, song. Fingertips Part 2 by Little Stevie Wonder, which is so crazy. This is when Stevie was really little. And yeah. uh, this is a live recording of him playing. And I think it's like mostly instrumental and it went so, and it it's went crazy that it's crazy that fingerprints number two is at 11 while or did that drop all the this, way to 11 finger it probably dropped all the way to 11 this is fingertips part two this was the song that was the hit for him his first okay. ever hit yeah Wow, so the week that they took number one, he dropped 10 slots on the charts. I guess. This I is mean, what I mean, man. The charts were were crazy back yeah. then. <laughs> and then the top 10 was Hey Hey Girl by Freddie Scott at 10, Blowing in the Wind by Peter, Paul, and Mary at 9, The Monkey Time by Major Lance at number 8, Mockingbird by Inez Fox and Char- with Charlie Fox. You know Mockingbird? Is that literally the like mock... Yes. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, and number six was Heat Wave that you just brought up nice. by Martha and the Vandellas. And number five, Candy Girl by the Four Seasons. And number four, the song you said you love, Blue Velvet by Bobby Vinton. Great song. Uh, and number three, If I Had a Hammer by Trini Lopez. Number two, Hello Mudda, Hello Fada by Alan Sherman. And Definitely on our long list when I send it to guests if they want to talk about Alan Sherman's Hello Mata, Hello Fada. Yeah. And number one, my boyfriend's back at the time. But Matt, before we go any further. Uh-oh, you got another game for me? <laughs> how do you think you will do on a, let me see how many questions I got for you. A five-question boyfriend trivia. <sighs> boyfriend trivia might not be my best skill set. Uh, so let's play it safe. I say I'll get two out of five. Two out of five. Okay. I think you can do that. You ready? All right. Question number one. This artist released the song Boyfriend in 2012, which contained the lyric, swag, swag, swag on you, chilling by the fire while we eat fondue. Is that Justin Bieber? It sure is. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. Swag, swag, swag on you. Um, okay. You're one for one. Okay, number two, this artist initially denied rumors that her 2005 single Boyfriend referred to an alleged relationship with Wilmer Valderrama. 
Who was it again? Uh, or what was the year? 2005. 2005 single, boyfriend, not about Fez from that 70s show. <laughs> what What pop star? Because he dates them young. He's a, he's a regular Leonardo DiCaprio, that man. Um, <laughs> oh, man. I wish I got multiple choice like the makes got on some of these. Uh <laughs> 2005 uh i'm gonna i'm gonna get real creepy i'm gonna say like molly miley cyrus nope it would be ashley simpson Uh, i mean kind of same basic ballpark actually just less famous well wilmer was actually the ex-boyfriend of Lindsay lohan and the lyrics said you really got it wrong i didn't steal your boyfriend in the song but i guess maybe she did maybe she did yeah i don't know he was Uh, dating those teenage pop stars it was weird i can't confirm or deny what's going on here i don't know anyone's ages in this era but no no um, no. i just remember that, that was like a weird thing he had but all right yeah uh so you're one for two question number three this indie band performed their song boyfriend from their debut album crazy for you on late night with jimmy fallon on january 3rd 2011 2011 crazy for you single boyfriend indie rock band who is it indie rock band in 2011 Love this song, love this band, love this album. I got nothing. I'm trying to think of an indie band from 2011, and all I can think of is early 2000s indie bands. I got nothing here. I got nothing. My brain is falling apart. I keep going to Avril Lavigne, but that's girlfriend. And uh, let's just pull a random artist's name out. <laughs> Royal Blood. Sure, let's say Royal Blood. <laughs> no, it's Best Coast. Oh, yeah, I barely know Best Coast. Dude, that album, you should check that out. That album okay. crazy for you. It sounds like it's from like the sixties. It's great. Okay. It is awesome. Then after that, they had like really slick production. It wasn't as good. Like, th- right. but this album is so good. It's like very stripped down, very reverbed out vocals. Everything sounds live. It's so good. And that song boyfriend's my favorite song of the album. It's great. Right. I'll uh, check it out. Um, question number four. So you got one out of three. You better get these next two. This previous subject of a one-hit Thunder episode released his single Boyfriend in May of 2010, 11 years after his biggest hit. And based off of his biggest hit, he may have been the boyfriend to many. Based on his biggest hit, he may- is it Lou Bega? It is. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> that, that extra little piece helped a lot. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, you, you hit your goal. Now let's, let's break your goal on your last one. Question five. Hey, little girl, I want to be your boyfriend. Sweet little girl, I want to be your boyfriend. Do you love me, babe? What do you say? Sang this band in 1976. Fuck. I feel like we've talked about this song before, honestly. 1976. I'm going to say 76. That could be. Is that Bruce Springsteen in the E Street Band? Nope. It's the Ramones. Oh, I want to be a... God, when you read it, not singing it, it's, it sounds so different. <laughs> well, man, you, I feel like such an idiot. I love the Ramones, too. You did all right, man. You did all right. Before we do our final part here, I do want to mention that the popularity of this song has shown up in at least two huge bands' careers. Okay. Dire Straits references yeah. this song in Romeo and Juliet. Okay. Remember he says, uh, saying, hey, uh, my boyfriend's back. 
Okay. Don't come around here yelling up to people like that. <laughs> like that. So they reference the song there, but we mentioned them in a previous episode already. Aerosmith named their album Permanent Vacation after the lyrics oh, of My yeah. Boyfriend's Back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's weird. Chris, where do we stand on this? Because I feel like it's always tough in these 60s artists because there isn't a lot to pull from yeah. in their catalog. So it almost feels like you have to lean way more into the the song. And I mean, I, I don't think that the Angels are without talent at all the the vocals sound on point on this song like we said seems like they were pretty solid uh ladies um but i think a lot of the credit of this song being what it is actually needs to go to bob jerry and richard who wrote it and based on the career that they've had afterwards i kind of want to just give the whole song a thunder because i hate to say like this but the 60s was a lot of just like Hey, here's a couple teenagers that can sing. They're going to be hired guns for these songwriters. And it was the songwriters that are kind of the superstars of the 60s. Yeah. In this instance, you know, the Angels got back together. Like they played on the Dean Martin show before they broke up in 1968. But then Peggy, Phyllis, and Barb's, that's Peggy, Bibbs, and Jigs, <laughs> got back together <laughs> in the early 70s and released a new single. And people didn't really care too much about it. I do think that they were just the face and voice that fit the song. I don't think I listened to a lot of their music. I did listen to the the follow-up song, I Adore Him, and and then also Thank You and Good Night. They're good songs. They sound cool. They sound very much like what you would think they would sound like for a band that had my boyfriend's back. I don't think I can I can certify the Angels as Thunder. You okay. know, I think, no, I think I, that's fair. I I mean the song is undoubtedly thunder but i don't think the band is more like studio musicians that swapped in and out this happened to be yeah. the lineup when this song came out but it's not like they were writing the songs and they were uh i don't know maybe they wrote some of those other songs i kind of get maybe, the idea that maybe they didn't <laughs> i don't think they did and i think that that's not i don't think that that's a diss on the angels directly i think that, that was literally just kind of how it was done for most of the music in that time period. Because right. we talk about that a lot. You have a lot of one-hit wonders from like the 50s and 60s. And I think a large point part of it is because they would have these like songwriters locked into contracts and would have them writing songs for their next up-and-coming group. And then it would just be like, all right, here's the hit that they wrote for, say, like, uh, I forget the name of the band now, but the group that did cool, the Capitals. You know, like someone wrote the song Cool Jerk and sent it to the Capitals. And it's like, all right, well, that's a big hit. Here's our next new group, right? A song for that. You know what I mean? So it's like the superstars of the late 50s and 60s were more of the people that were sitting there writing those songs. That's where you get someone like Carly Simon who pops off. You know what I mean? Like she started her career just writing songs for 50s and 60s acts mm -hmm. and then eventually recorded her own music and and became way more famous. But like there, there was there was definitely a thing back then, and it makes it really hard. It's always going to be hard for us to do these particular groups because you're like, the the system wasn't in place to really allow any of these groups to flourish in the first place. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, I I definitely like the song. It definitely approached 
novelty territory in a oh, way. Oh, very much. Yeah. Because think about like I could see like the Muppet Babies perform. Like if the Muppet Babies never performed this song, I would be shocked. The Muppet yeah. Babies had to have performed this at some point. Oh, I promise you that Miss Piggy sang this <laughs> with Gonzo Scooter and Fozzie Bear backing her up on vocals or something. Yeah, that, definitely um, something in, in that in that world. Right. Uh, so I, they, they do not, the, the angels do not get the certification from me of thunder, even though I do like them and I enjoy the song, but it's just the, the, the band themselves. Like there's not too much more to dig into there. No, not at all. So while there, but there is one cool thing, Chris, what's that? The angels boyfriend's going to be back. And so will we. Every Wednesday on people's podcast feeds. That's right, babes. This has been One Hit Thunder. One Hit Thunder is hosted by Chris Fafalios of the band Punchline and produced by Matt Kelly of Geekscape.net. Underneath me, you're hearing All Hopped Up on Jingle Bells off the new Punchline album, Holiday Hits, which is available on tdrrecords.com. Be sure to check out punchline.com for any upcoming information about the band. Our podcast is on Patreon now. Find us at patreon.com backslash podcast for early access to episodes, bonus conversations, and a chance to vote on future songs for us to cover. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on any podcasting app, and tune in next week for more One Hit Thunder. Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenge Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks with Johnny, streaming everywhere now.